0: Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. Great to have you along, and you know what I'm going to ask for. I need 90 minutes. If you'll give me 90 minutes... I'm going to give you the world. My broadcast partners are standing by. They're going to report current events and then give us insight into each of those events that are happening, helping us to better understand how the scenario for end times, uh, the Bible prophecy prophetic scenario, is coming to pass almost at this time in history. We're going to help you to understand that so you can recognize how current events will set the stage for bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I'm here in temporary studios in Altoona, Pennsylvania. On Sunday morning, we're going to be at the foot of 10 Independence Baptist Church. That's right. That's that's the name of the church. Foot of 10 Independence Baptist Church it's in Duncansville, Pennsylvania. Pastor David Houston has invited us over because this is going to be an extra service as we're going to be all week in Altoona at the Central Pennsylvania Bible Conference. Well, we're going to get underway with our broadcast partners now because we need this information into your computer bank into your brain so you can read the prophetic scriptures and understand why it's happening. Ken Timmerman is in the Washington, D.C. area, and Ken stays on top of everything. I don't know how he does it. He's a journalist. He's a world traveler. He's a author. He has a brand new book out. I can tell you this, Ken Timmerman has been on the ground in the location, the real estate where the book is focused on. You need to get a copy and at Amazon, I think they allow you to read the first chapter. If you do that, you'll have to read the rest of the book for sure. Excellent book. I've got my copy of it. Well, I know that in Iraq, when ISIS was getting underway, Kim, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard were very active there in the Iraqi area as well. But now it seems like Iran has a different focus, and it's the United States. President Rouhani of Iran— Threatening President Trump that if he wants to get involved with a war with the Iranian people, this will be the mother of all wars. Pretty much bravado, or do you think Iran could be a viable opponent to the United States?
1: Well, you know, H.R. McMaster is reported to have said at one point, the Iranians can fight us asymmetrically or they can fight us stupidly. The Iranians are not stupid and they have a tremendous amount of asymmetrical capabilities. That means no direct confrontation, U.S. Navy versus Iranian regular Navy, U.S. Army troops on the ground versus Iranian troops. It means terrorism. It means uh, proxy attacks, attacks that are conducted by other people. But this war of words that has escalated over the past 10 days or so is is really quite dramatic, and, and it's unprecedented in the 40 years of the Iranian revolution. I cannot recall even during Ronald Reagan's time, especially during Ronald Reagan's time where Iranian leaders would go after an American president by name very personally. In addition to President Rohani who is making these threats about closing the Strait of Hormuz and later closing other straits to international navigation, you have Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Quds Force, uh their international terrorist expeditionary force, if you wish directly addressing President Trump, saying, I am your foe. My forces are your foes. Every night, we don't go to bed without thinking of you, Mr. Trump. It's really quite amazing. Uh, And then he says to Donald Trump, he says, Oh, gambler, as you are powerless, we are too close in a place that you can't imagine. Now, that's a very significant statement coming from Qasem Soleimani, And it hints at what uh, intelligence analysts have long suspected, uh, and that is that the Quds Force and other Iranian operational forces have bases, secret bases, much closer to the United States than people might think. For example, we know for many, many years that Iran has had a relationship with Venezuela. Uh, They've been building missiles in venezuela they have been training venezuela forces in terrorist operations we know that the iranians have been in the tri-state border region in brazil paraguay and uruguay and they have been uh, working with various drug gangs we know that they tried to assassinate the saudi ambassador in washington dc using a drug hitman right a mexican cartel hitman so there is this understanding among analysts inside government and outside government that the Iranian regime has got underground networks, possibly even here in the United States, that they could use to attack the United States. Now, I've got to mention one other thing while we're on this, is that this war of words also became a war of missiles earlier this week. On Wednesday, uh, an Iranian proxy, uh, the Houthi rebels in Yemen, in other words, a group that is working for the Iranian regime, is carrying out their orders, is armed by them, trained by them, uh, the Houthis in Yemen fired missiles against two Saudi oil tankers going through the Bab el mandeb That's the strait that separates the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, Yemen in this case, and Eritrea. It leads into the Red Sea and, of course, onward to the Suez Canal, or, if you hook a right, into the Gulf of Aqaba and lot in Israel. Now, the Saudis, after that attack, on Thursday they said, okay, we're going to stop all of our... Uh, shipping traffic, all of our oil shipping traffic through the Bab el Mandeb, they they take about four million barrels a day through that strait, uh, to mainly to Europe uh, and North America, and we're going to stop this until security has been restored. So here you have a proxy attack conducted on behalf of Iran, carrying out these threats. So it's not just a war of words, Jimmy. Now it's a war that uses live missiles as well.
0: Let me talk about another proxy partner that Iran has got back together with. A couple of years ago, Hamas decided to pull away from Iran because of Iran's opposition fighting to the activities there in Syria of the opposition terrorists who want to try to take over from Bashar Assad. However, now it looks like Hamas and Iran are getting back together. I mean, is this just another outreach to some of their proxies to continue their fight for Really, world dominion?
1: Yeah, I think now the Iranians had a major dispute with Hamas because Hamas is the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, The Muslim Brotherhood came to power in Egypt with Mohammed Morsi, and Morsi and Hamas got into a public spat with the Iranians uh, not too long after Morsi took power. And, of course, now, since that time in 2012, both the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas have been supporting the Syrian rebels. Iran is on the other side of that conflict supporting Assad so that's been the uh, beginning if you wish of their conflict but they didn't completely break off ties you know the militants in Gaza and Hamas terrorists in Gaza are using Iranian supplied missiles and components to launch into Israel so I think this is part of Iran's desire to bracket Israel to reinforce their threat to Israel by uh, renewing these ties in a much more open manner with Hamas and letting the Israelis know about it.
0: Well, this is going to continue on. We have reports that in Kinetra, two and a half miles north of Israel's border there with Syria, uh, that uh, the Syrian military has raised the flag, and they are now in control of Kinetra. They did this, however, with the help of Russia, with Hezbollah out of Lebanon, and of course the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. So they, as you say, are surrounding the Jewish state.
1: He who says Syrian army says Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps also because the Syrian army really does not exist any longer without the, the active support uh, uh, and money from the Revolutionary Guards Corps. So you're right. That puts the Iranians also on the border with Israel very, very close up on the Golan Height. Uh, Kunechur is supposed to be a demilitarized demil- area, so to see the Syrian army there is troubling.
0: Yes, it is. And when the Israeli Defense Force jet fighter took down a Russian-made Syrian aircraft right at that particular spot, Prime Minister Netanyahu said, I warned you, you've come ahead, we're going to have to deal with it. He's going to, is he not?
1: Uh, well, that's right. The Israelis have been consistently warning the Syrians, don't fly over our airspace. And the Syrians said, well, we we'll have to bomb these rebels. And they claimed, the Syrians claimed, they were on a bombing run against a rebel stronghold near the Golan Heights. Uh, The Israelis say they they strayed into Israeli airspace, two miles into Israeli airspace, and Patriot missiles were fired against uh, the jet fighter bringing it down. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, going to happen more if the Syrians don't watch their GPS a little closer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, By the way, uh, everything's not getting quieter in the Middle East. It's being ratcheted up. And I've had my Middle East reporter, David Dolan, make the statement that war is right at the edge of breaking out in that region. Sounds like that's the case, doesn't it, Ken?
1: Well, I think we have had this proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia uh, percolating along in Yemen and in Syria for quite some time. It's been several years, uh, but it's getting hotter you know, by the day, by the week. And this latest attack on Saudi shipping Uh, is indeed a very, very dangerous escalation. The last time the Houthi rebels attacked a U.S. warship in October of 2016, at the very end of the Obama administration, and for once President Obama actually allowed the Navy uh, respond, and they took out three uh, radar stations that were controlled by the Revolutionary Guards in Yemen. Uh, I suspect that we are going to see a U.S. military response to this latest missile attack. And, Jimmy, if you see the U.S. military directly engaging the Houthi rebels there on the ground in Yemen, I think the Iranians are going to be faced with a choice, either a direct uh, confrontation with the U.S. military. I don't think they're going to go down that path, or they're going to have to retreat somewhat.
0: And we'll stay on top of that story with Ken Timberman. He covers geopolitical activities around the world. He's a valuable asset to us here at Prophecy Today. Ken, thank you for this excellent report. I want to remind everybody, go to KenTimmerman.com. See if you can get a copy of his book. You need to read it. And we'll have you again keeping us informed of what's happening next week. Thank you so much, Ken. Uh,
1: thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless.
0: We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East News update. More information about what's happening in that region of the world We'll do that with David Dolan all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. How do you like your news?
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Here in Temporary Studios in Altoona, Pennsylvania. We're gonna be at the Foot of Ten Independent Baptist Church. Yes, I'm speaking correctly. I'm reading from the script that I have. That's actually the name of the church, Foot of Ten Independent Baptist Church. Now, the church is located on Foot of Ten Road. They're in Duncansville, Pennsylvania. We'll be there only on Sunday morning. And then Sunday evening, starting at six o'clock, there in Altoona, the Central Pennsylvania Bible Conference begins. Love to have you come and join us. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the section on the left-hand column that says "Schedule," and you'll be able to get the address, the location, everything you need to be a part of this Central Pennsylvania. Bible Conference. Well, let's get now to the Middle East activities. We're going to do that with our longtime friend, great broadcast partner, David Dolan. Yesterday, Friday, Dave, there was an uproar on the Temple Mount. Now, the Islamic Holy Day is Friday, the Jewish Holy Day Saturday, and of course, the Christians honor the resurrection of Christ on Sunday. But on Friday, after their prayers, their on the Temple Mount at Al-Aqsa Mosque. A real violent activity actually got underway, and uh, it was pretty surprising. Israeli Defense Force soldiers had to come up on the Temple Mount. Talk to us about it. What was the reason behind it? Well,
3: Jimmy, it comes after yet another week of violence between Israelis and Palestinians, and that's uh, undoubtedly the spark. On Wednesday, we had an Israeli soldier killed the first uh, for some months along the Gaza border, and the Israel responded strongly, and they hit targets in Gaza, and a number of Palestinians were killed. They in turn responded by firing rockets again into Israel, so the tensions were high. But then around Jerusalem on Thursday, a day before the riots, we had a terror attack. A 17-year-old Palestinian infiltrated the suburb of Jerusalem called Adam. I've been there, a beautiful place. An Israeli uh, resident was stabbed to death, and two others were wounded. Another resident shot dead the attacker. So tensions were already quite high before Friday, but Jimmy, I'm hearing from my sources, they believe that there was an order given from somewhere for rioting to begin again on the temple mount and i say again because as you know in the first and second uprisings the center of activity wasn't gaza wasn't the west bank it was always jerusalem and always on the temple mount or most of the time it was but of course since then israel built the security barrier which has kept a lot of terrorists out they've enforced stricter regulations around the temple mount Now we were expecting a month ago trouble during ramadan that's when there's usually trouble on the temple mount but there was a lot of security the israelis in particular because of the seventieth anniversary of the state uh... having just taken place and all these other things were very strict on who they were allowing up now the regulations have been released some and more palestinian men are going up to pray on fridays and obviously a riot took place, but it it seemed to be spontaneous. But again, there's a suspicion that an order was given probably by Iran, probably through Islamic Jihad uh, forces in Jerusalem that are allied with Iran to start the rioting. And as you say, it was severe enough that the Israelis had to go up there, the IDF. They used stun grenades, which hasn't happened in a long time up there. And the fear is, Jimmy, this is just A new phase of their months-long campaign against Israel. We have had over 200 Palestinians killed now in that campaign. We've had hundreds of fires started by the Palestinians. It's completely dry, as you know, from April till October. Israel gets no rain, so a lot of damage has been caused by that. And of course, we've had the action in the north going on another thing as well. But uh, all that's the background, and it's a very tense situation. And again, the Palestinians are being warned by Israeli leaders not to escalate the situation if they let it go any further. The warning has been, especially from Defense Minister Lieberman, that there will be action against uh, Hamas and against Gaza, unlike any before. In other words, they will go until they wipe out the Hamas administration in Gaza this time. So that's the warning being given, but uh, we'll see if the Palestinians respond or heed it.
0: And David, meanwhile, Vladimir Putin has invited both the Palestinian leadership and the Israeli prime minister to come to Moscow for a summit between the three of them, Russia, the Palestinians, and the Israelis. However, Prime Minister Netanyahu has turned that down. Any reason you think behind that?
3: There is no question in my mind why, Jimmy. It's very, very clear that Putin is completely violating his commitment to President Trump and to Bibi Netanyahu. Personally, he gave the same that the zone in the south of Syria, where the fighting is going on, supposed to be an area where there isn't any Russian forces, any Iranian forces, or any Iranian-linked forces like Hezbollah. That was the agreement that was made several months ago. They've totally violated. It, the fighting is raging. Uh, this week we had the uh, town of Sveda attacked. Uh, that's uh, also on the southern border next to Jordan. It's a regional capital. It was attacked by Muslim militants, uh, it, uh, again, reminding us that Islamic jihad and the other Islamic al-Qaeda and those other forces are at work there, and they killed uh, hundreds of people in terror attacks. So it's a very bad situation and the Israelis do not trust. Vladimir Putin, as far as they can throw him, Jimmy. The last person they're going to make a, a peace treaty under or, or going to hope can get the peace process going again is Putin. He is on their blacklist, even though there are relations. And uh, we've seen uh, Bibi Netanyahu fly to Moscow twice now in the past couple months to meet with Putin to try basically to get the situation in the south of Syria under control to warn that Iran will be taken on by Israel. And again, action this week, Jimmy, a Syrian jet shot down over the Golan Heights that penetrated Israeli airspace. Syria warning now that it will respond in a major way. So we're waiting to see what might happen there. But that is the real issue, the main issue between Israel and Russia. And again, it's just a joke that Putin is going to be the peacemaker in the midst of the situation where his forces are right along The Israeli border right now heavily bombing pro-anti-Assad positions in the country, and that is a very serious situation indeed.
0: One other factor there is that President Trump is trying to put together his peace plan for reconciliation between the Israelis and the Palestinians. He did not want to interfere with that by getting Vladimir Putin involved. Well, it seems like it's always incitement. And now Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, the top guy in the Palestinian legislative operation, saying that Israel is trying to make efforts to destroy Al-Aqsa Mosque, get that out of the way, and then build the temple. Well, it's really not going to be at the southern end of the Temple Mount. The temple, as I understand archaeologists, will be where the Gold Dome building is. But uh, Abbas is not ashamed of incitement to cause his people to get up and go after the Jews, is he?
3: He's not, and that was certainly another factor in the rioting that took place on Friday. It is always the go to uh, place for the Muslims whenever they want to attack Israel. They start talking about Jerusalem, they start talking about Al-Aqsa, Haram al-Sharif, they call it the Noble Sanctuary, which, by the way, Jimmy's interesting, that's the ancient Arabic name for it, which acknowledged that there was something special and holy about that place when they conquered it. Of course, it's because the Jewish temples were there uh, for uh, nearly 2,000 years before that. But it's a very serious situation, Jimmy, and, you know, it just... It galls me because they're always making these charges against Israel. They're always running Israel into the ground. But we saw at the beginning of this week the true Israel when they went up on the Golan Heights and they rescued those white helmets, the Arabs that have been working to rescue the horrible situation in Syria, rescue people uh, caught up in the fighting. And they've done that over the years. And they've been targeted by the Assad regime. And the White House and others, uh, Britain and others, asked Israel to Help evacuate them and to get them out of harm's way. And Israel, in the middle of the night, sent their soldiers up to the Golan and did that successfully, took them over to Jordan. That's the true Israel. They're not out to destroy the Muslims. They want to live with the Muslims. But, Jimmy, this provocation constantly from the Palestinians is what will probably lead to the temple going up. I mean, they don't understand, but they are causing Israel to be defensive. They are causing Israel to increase its security measures. And, you know, the Israelis are getting sick and tired of it. They're tired of these fires. They're tired of the stabbing attacks and all of this. And, uh, you know, they may just take action that will shock uh, the
0: world. i tell you what, David, you and I are going to have a long-time job. Our job security is pretty good, because I know what the Bible says about this conflict, And until the rapture of the church, we'll have to be here reporting on what's going on, giving evidence to everybody as to how the prophetic scenario on God's Word is actually playing out even today. David, thank you for the excellent report. Appreciate it so very much. You do a great job for us. We so are thankful to you for doing that. We'll talk again next week, buddy.
3: I'm blessed to do it. Thanks, Jimmy.
0: We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, Inamar Marcus is going to talk more about the Temple Mount and the Palestinians, and actually they're saying that the Jews going up on the Temple Mount are defiling a Muslim holy site. Hello? We'll, we'll get really what the truth is from Inamar Marcus in a moment, right here on Prophecy Today. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Altoona, Pennsylvania. We're here for a major Bible prophecy conference, and we're going to be speaking all week long. We're going to be here in Altoona. May I suggest you go to my website, prophecytoday.com look up my schedule. It's in the left-hand column, and they'll give you all the directions you need, the times of the meetings, etc. That address, prophecytoday.com, in the left-hand column, look up my schedule. Well, we're going to continue our conversations with our broadcast partners, this time, longtime friend, broadcast partner, Itamar Marcus. And he is the man who heads up a team they're referred to as the Palestinian Media Watch, palwatch.org. That's their address, their web address. And by the way, you may want to go there and get some information as to how you can receive the alerts that Inamar actually sends out. I just received one this week, and I thought it would be a very important topic that we need to discuss. Itamar, thank you for being available. Hadn't been talking for a, a little while here, but you've still been very busy, have you not?
4: Yes, unfortunately, the Palestinian Authority continues, continues to demonize Israel, demonize Jews, and promote all the hatred that they've been promoting for years, which is why we don't have peace today. So they keep us busy.
0: Yes, indeed, and the fact is that that's uh, the object of org to stay on top of the electronic media from the Palestinian Authority, and also the print media as well. I was mentioning that I got your alert, and it was talking about the headline, Jewish-Israeli members of Knesset defile the Muslim holy sites, according to Mahmoud Abbas and his advisors. Now, let me just ask, they're talking about Muslim holy sites, I would imagine, and I've read the rest of the alert that they're talking about the Temple Mount. How do they claim the Temple Mount as a Muslim holy site?
4: The Palestinian Authority claims the entire Temple Mount as a holy site. They claim the Western Wall as if it was a uh, Muslim holy site. They, uh, they lied to their people for many, many years, saying that it never was a Jewish holy site. Uh, we have serious, serious uh, people in the Palestinian Authority religious establishment, such as Mahmoud al-Habash who is the head of the Sharia courts, he's Mahmoud Abbas's advisor on Islam, the top religious figure in the entire Palestinian Authority, and he said that there never was a Jew who prayed at the Western Wall, and then he said, until the notorious Balfour Declaration. And that, he said, because the Jews have no connection, never were in Jerusalem, there never was a temple, Uh, it's all fictitious Jewish history. So this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a Palestinian authority who has rewritten all of history, taken the Jewish people out of the land, put themselves there in our place, and therefore everything is Muslim holy sites. And if a Jew goes to the Temple Mount, it's considered defiling a Muslim holy site.
0: And this is the basis for the conversation that I'm having with Itamar Marcus and they say that the members of the Knesset, the Jewish members who went up on the Temple Mount, are the ones defiling this Muslim holy site. By the way, just this background information, Prime Minister Netanyahu for a number of years, I think about three years, would not allow any of the members of the Knesset that were Jewish to visit the Temple Mount. Just recently, he rescinded that order and made it an opportunity available for all Jews, in particular members of the parliament, to go up there. And this is something very interesting, a decision by the prime minister, but this is what has provoked these statements from the Palestinian Authority, correct?
4: Well, you have to understand, Jimmy, that it's, it's outrageous that Israel gave in to Palestinian Authority threats three years ago and prohibited Knesset members from going onto the Temple Mount. And I say prohibited because the Palestinian Authority were rioting three years ago. They were stabbing Israelis everywhere. They were shooting killings. We had what was called the Knife Intifada. Forty-four Israelis were killed over a period of six months, and they claimed they were doing this in defense of Al-Aqsa. So what Netanyahu decided was that anything that he could do to stop Palestinian terror, he would do, and well, one of the things that he did was he prohibited Knesset members from going on the Temple Mount. He, he couldn't prohibit Jews in general because the Supreme Court has ruled that that's illegal, but uh, he prohibited, and, and the tragedy here is that what we have learned is that when you give in to Palestinian terror, you are inviting more terror. When you give in the first time they threaten to kill or they kill and backtrack on something that should be the most natural right of every Jew in the world to go to the Temple Mount, when you give in because of terror, then any time you want to replace that right that you took away, they're going to start threatening terror again.
0: Well, what puts the Palestinian people up there on the Temple Mount with somewhat of custodial control of the site was a giving in back in 1967 after the Six-Day War when the Israeli Defense Force took the Temple Mount, first time in some 2,000 years, and were in control of that Temple Mount. But then there was a group of politicos, Jewish politicos, that said, well, let's just... uh, appease these Muslim people will give them the control. That was really the basis of the problem today, is it not?
4: Absolutely. It was probably one of the, there have been so many unfortunate political decisions that Israeli leadership has made, the top leadership, and that was one of the worst ones. And the ramifications we are feeling until today, I mean, so many people have been killed over the years because of Israel just trying to accept. or or I would say, take the most basic, basic rights for Jews in the Temple Mount, and it's all because of that mistake. Uh, At the time, when Jordan had joined Syria and Egypt and tried to destroy Israel, nobody was asking us to give anything away to these people who just tried to destroy us. There was no reason to have given Jordan uh, the control of the uh, Temple Mount. So that's You know, you you look back in history at at mistakes, and you you realize that mistake has had ramifications now since 1967. Tragic, tragic mistake. Since
0: 1967, that has been the case. Well, the Palestinian Authority in Amar is saying that these Jewish members of Knesset going up onto the Temple Mount is actually a war crime. How ironic they would make that statement. Do they think they have any basis upon which to make this statement?
4: They accuse Israel. They just keep throwing uh, all sorts of insults at Israel. They also said it wasn't only a war crime. They said that it was bullying. It was arrogance, and it was even Zionist isisism. In other words, when a Jew asserts the right for a Jew to go to the Temple Mount, that is isisism. That's ISIS ideology. Uh, it's um, there. There is no. There is no way to uh, explain the Palestinian Authority religious hatred toward Israel other than to say that, uh, in in many respects, it has taken all of the worst components of Muslim anti-Semitism over all of the years, and they're spewing it out to their people about uh, Israel today. If Jews go to the Temple Mount, it's defiling the mosque. Now, a couple of years ago, when Abbas wanted terror, he said that Jews going up there were defiling it and that Palestinians had to do everything in their power uh, to stop them, including uh, violence, he, he intimated. And we had terror for months. So this has been a, a, a very hateful message from the PA to its people. It has brought death and destruction in the past. And we'll see what happens now. So far, the PA hasn't been successful in getting out um, major terror Uh, from its people. And there are a whole bunch of reasons. If you want to, we can discuss them. But right now, Abbas has tried a number of times this past year to get his people out into the streets to commit terror, but he's been unsuccessful, uh, even though just a few years ago he was successful.
0: There's only one thing that is true in this pronouncement from the Palestinian media, and they are saying that the Jews want to build a temple on the Temple Mount, most sacred piece of real estate for the Jewish world, there in the center of Jerusalem, and in particular where that gold-domed building is located. Now, that's a true statement, but the Jews are not willing to, at this point in time, go to war, take down that gold-domed building, and start construction of the Temple Mount, are they? Well,
4: what's the only thing that is actually even being proposed by the most adamant People who want to see Jewish prayer, they're talking about building some kind of a synagogue, essentially. I mean, the Temple Mount is gigantic. Right now, there are two mosques on the Temple Mount, the Silver Dome and the Gold Dome. and But there's plenty of room. There's plenty of room to build a synagogue and to have access for Jews. And again, fear is, and Israel is giving in to threats of violence and terror. And that's why it's not even being considered. Of course, it should be considered if it was synagogue that was there, and the Muslims wanted a mosque to be nearby, Israel would be giving in. But the reason is very simple. Jews don't go around killing Muslims when there's an affront to our religious feelings, but Muslims are taught by their leaders that this is something that they should do, and when they do go out and kill an Israeli, they're rewarded by the Palestinian Authority. They're honored by the Palestinian Authority. All the terrorists who in recent years have been involved in killing Israelis uh, have received incredible honor in the Palestinian Authority. Those who were arrested received salaries from the Palestinian Authority because they were arrested for killing an Israeli. So anyone who wants to claim, even for a moment, that the Palestinian Authority is not a terror-promoting organization or institution, you can absolutely not say that. The Palestinian Authority, I can tell you right now, and we have all the proof of this, pays salaries to every single terrorist who ends up in Israeli jail, No matter how many Israelis they killed, they get a salary. The salary gets higher the longer they're in jail, and it can reach up to $3,500 a month, which is about 10 times higher than the average Palestinian salary.
0: Wow. Wow, and the United States taxpayers are funding that type of an operation. By the way, Inamar and I have read the last chapter. The ancient Jewish prophets tell us that there will be a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem where that gold dome building is. And it may not be too long into the future. It is a key conversation, I believe, for those eavesdropping on it here in America and around the world on the Internet. It's always good to be able to talk to you and get the truth of what the Palestinian media is actually saying to their people and the rest of the world. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation real soon.
4: Thank you, Jimmy.
0: Very important and additional information from Itamar Marcus as it relates to the Palestinians on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. We'll stay on top of that story. You need to understand this could be a third intifada. We'll keep reporting, and as I told David Dolan earlier, we're not going to run out of a opportunity to have a job. We're going to continue talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict until the return of Jesus Christ. That's the book of Obadiah, verses 15 to 18. Well, the Middle East is a key region of the world, but also the European Union is key as we look at the prophetic scenario that's going to unfold in the future. I believe that the European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. And to go along with that, we bring to these microphones John Rood. He spent about 20-some years in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the European Union. And John, I've got to talk to you about uh, Brexit, number one, but most importantly, maybe, Uh, There's a poll out that points to anti-European Union surge in the European Parliament. Now, remind everybody, as I understand it, the Parliament is appointed. It's not elected. And they have been mostly a a talking society, but uh, they're getting pretty active of late. And if there's a surge in anti-European Union activity, that's not good for the future, is it?
5: Precisely, it's actually known as the democratic deficit. So, very basic structure of the European
0: Union. The European
5: Commission gives the discussion topics to the parliament. The parliament discusses, bounces around in committees, and then they make a decision, which then goes to the European Council. But the European Council can do whatever they want, the European Parliament decisions are not binding. So the problem is that there's an extreme lack of democracy here. The European Parliament actually is the only European Union institution that is elected, but they have basically no powers, very, very limited powers. I, I kind of describe them as a glorified discussion group. There's been a rise of Euroskeptic parties, and so in the news you'll see that they're basically uh, categorized as right-wing populists, But it's been growing and growing. Now with recent polls, they're saying that these groups, eight existing party groups, two of the large ones, uh, EFDD, Europe of Freedom and Direct Democracy, and ENF, Europe of Nations and Freedoms, they said they can compose uh, 15 to 20 percent of the European Parliament. And so these are not actually just Euroskeptic groups, but these are basically... Let's uh, leave the EU. so the EU is it's in an existential crisis. and in the news we're getting all this information on what's perceived as to be the right wing that they'd like to uh, have categorized as well as extremists. and of course, there are certain representations there that can be extreme. but on the same side, there's extreme left, and most people don't know that there are actually direct communist groups in the European Parliament. They're classified as opposition, but they're not classified particularly as uh, Euroskeptic or out of the EU. So European Union politics are very broad-based. There's a wide, wide spectrum. Uh, if you compared Republicans and Democrats in the United States, this would be a, a narrow band in the European politics. Which are almost always uh, finished by uh, joining coalition. So the European Parliament, very very big divisions. Uh, can they make it through? Well, what's going to happen? The next elections are May two thousand nineteen. The polls are showing it's very very eurosceptic driven.
0: Wow, that does not sound good for the European Union. By the way, John, thank you for correcting my misspeak. The European Parliament elected, I guess it would be the council that's appointed. But, uh, you know, really what started all this discussion was Brexit with uh, the United Kingdom, Great Britain wanting to pull out. And now they're talking about a no deal and whatever that would look like. How is this going to play into our discussion right now?
5: Uh, I've had to look into this situation. Various groups and parties, of course, they'll want to present their viewpoints. We know that when you join the EU membership, you literally are giving up national sovereignty. That's been one of the big issues here. But I would classify it this way. A no-deal Brexit is actually a no-deal deal. And that's what they're preparing for right now, Uh teresa may the uk prime minister she's from the remain camp and so yet she is the one in charge to implement brexit so there's probably not much surprise of how this has been so slow and there's only the period coming up until march 2019 when the actual division begins uh and there's a scare about this now so i think there's I think there's some groups that are kind of presenting their side, but actually presenting no deal has been a deal in itself. The U.K. has uh, produced a Brexit white paper, which was seen to be uh, very soft and caused the high-level resignations. And then you have the E.U. has presented their form of a no-deal document, and so there's many, many contingencies. They're trying to bring a fear that everything will shut down. And uh, I just don't see that's something that would be happening. I think the Brexit no deal, in a sense, is being presented as a Y2K-style scare. In the background, they certainly are working these things out that the U.K. will have basic services and so forth. But I do believe that it's a situation that is... Being taken advantage of. Behind the closed doors, there must be some directive knowing uh, basically where this is going. That's uh, one interesting point. Uh, Nigel Farage, actually, a um, UK politician, member of the European Parliament, uh, he's been the head of the United Kingdom Independence Party. He tweeted uh, very recently. Trump has achieved more in one day of trade negotiations than May has in two years. If only we had a leader, not an appeaser. So that's the reference to the European Commission president, Jean-Claude Juncker, who went to Washington and worked out the trade deal with Washington. And that and from that meeting, there's enormous results. And yet here we are working on two years in the U.K., and we don't have results at all.
0: Very interesting as to how this is all developing, and we stay on top of it because when we talk politics, we talk about prophecy in the future and how it's all going to play out. We're setting the stage for those prophetic events to happen. One quick answer, if you will, it looks like the British Foreign Office, that would be our State Department here in America, they're under a fantasy. They've continually been against Israel, having control of the Golden Heights, and it was because of that control that the Israeli Defense Force was actually able to rescue the White Helmets, which is which is really originated by uh, the people in Great Britain to save some of the Arabs who are under attack by the Sir- Syrian regime. So uh, you got to watch your policy. It may go against God's plan and ultimately your people's plan as well.
5: The British Foreign Office has taken an official stand since 1967 that the Golan Heights are a quote unquote occupied land. Now, of course, because there's claim by Syria, the important aspect at this moment is that the Syrian war appears to be uh, reaching some type of conclusion. ISIS is extremely weakened now. Actually, there's an interesting article on this by uh, Douglas Murray, and he's the author of a book called The Strange Death of Europe Immigration identity, and Islam. So those are the three eyes, and they're major forces. And again, we see these forces that are pulling the EU apart, and what will happen? What will happen? There, there's going to be some cataclysmic events in terms of how all these nations uh, come together and separate.
0: Well, that's an absolute. That's what the last chapter in the book, the book of Revelation or the book of Ezekiel or Daniel, is all talking about. And that's why we have these political conversations, as I said, to help set the stage for these prophecies to be fulfilled. And we do that with our great broadcast partner, John Rude. John, thank you so very much for what you bring to the broadcast table. Appreciate it. We'll do it again next week.
5: Look forward to it. My pleasure. We're
0: going to take a time right now to have interaction with you, the listener. I'd love Prophecy Q&A. This is probably one of my most favorite sections of our broadcast anytime and all the time. And Jim Jr. is going to come to the broadcast table with some questions from you, our listeners. Ruben sends in a question, Dad. He says, I believe we'll go through the tribulation. To what extent? Not sure. What are your thoughts? Shabbat Shalom. (laughs) Shabbat Shalom. (laughs) Uh, You know, Shabbat Shalom means uh, have a peaceful Sabbath. How in the world could you have a peaceful Sabbath if you think you're going to go through the tribulation period? Reuben, uh, you know, I don't understand where you could even come up with that conclusion if you spend time looking at the Word of God seriously. We will not go through the tribulation period. How do I know? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. He's writing the church at Philadelphia, and the Lord says, I will keep you from the time of testing. Mm. That would be the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul says a similar thing to those people in Thessaloniki, that young group of Christians who formed a church after Paul was there visiting and led most of them to the Lord. And so we're not going to go through the tribulation according to those two verses. When you look at the details of the tribulation period, and they can be found there in Revelation chapter 4 verse 2 through chapter 19 verse 10, that's basically 16 chapters detailed information about the tribulation period. Now, with that thought in mind, let me tell you the word church is used 25 times in the book of Revelation. It's used 19 times in chapters 1, 2, and 3. From chapter 4 through 19, it's not used another time. It's not used even once in those 16 chapters of detailed information about the tribulation period. But after 19, the rest of the book of Revelation, the word "church" is used six times for a total of twenty-five times. And so, the Lord did not even, in his description of that terrible time of judgment, put the church in there. Didn't even mention them. He's not going to allow them to be there. He's going to take them out of that place at that time. Daniel nine twenty-seven is the sixty. Excuse me, the seventieth week of Daniel. Remember, there were seventy weeks of Daniel. That's four hundred and ninety years. The first 483 years that is talked about in Daniel nine twenty-four to 27, there was no church. And so the last seven years, that last week, the 70th week of Daniel, there's going to be no church as well. Uh, you need to spend a lot of time in the book understanding what it's telling us. And again, it's the hermeneutics, a consistent hermeneutic will teach that the church, the body of Christ, those of us who are married to Christ, in fact, that's when we're going to celebrate. That seven-year period of time, we can't be in the tribulation. We're having a wedding ceremony Mm -hmm. and a marriage supper of the Lamb in that seven-year period of time. We will not be in the tribulation period. Listen, my dear friend, if you want to live pure in light of the times in which we're living, and it is difficult to live pure with how that we're embarded by satanic activity. Satan is out there like a roaring lion, seeing who he can devour. In order to be able to live pure, You look for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look for him to come at any moment. That's one of the reasons it's important you have the proper eschatology, because if your eschatology says, well, don't worry about it. God's got it worked out. You don't even know anything about it. How are you going to be expecting him to come back and uh, expecting a time when it could happen and it be close at hand? In Revelation chapter 4, I think it's verse 12, he said, "You created all things, Lord, for your glory and for your pleasure. We're not here for our pleasure and our own glory. We're here for his. And if we don't understand how everything's going to work out, the whole you can't read the Bible. You can't understand the Bible unless you have an eschatology that is a proper biblical Literal eschatology. By the way, it gives authority to the word of God. It gives an assurance that the Lord is in charge. As I read all these things about his soon coming and see what's going to precede that and then look at the world in light of all of that talking about in scripture. And I realize he is in charge. He's still there to make certain everything happens the way it's going to happen. And of course, it gives us an urgency. Uh, to be winning our friends and loved ones to Jesus Christ. The rapture could happen at any moment, my dear friend. But if you listen to it, and you've heard what Jimmy and I have talked about on this broadcast today, you have to realize that the rapture of the church, according to the word of God, according to a proper eschatology, is about to happen. Thank you, Dad. What an excellent challenge for us as we look forward to the rapture of the church that could happen
4: at any moment. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, Dad's going to have a conversation with David James right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
0: Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to my last half hour. I've asked you for 90 minutes. You've got to keep the dial set where it is. And let me finish up my 90 minutes, giving you information that will assist you in understanding where we are in God's time and the urgency of the moment, Bible prophecy is about to begin to be fulfilled. The next event, of course, the rapture of the church. More about that in a moment. If you'll do me a favor, I would love you for it. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, if you will, on the left-hand column on my home page. Scroll down, and you'll find my poll question, Now that poll question is this, the Palestinians are trying to start a war with Israel at the Gaza border. They say that Jewish members of the Knesset defile the Temple Mount, a Muslim holy site, and the Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas says that Israel wants to destroy Al-Aqsa Mosque and build a Jewish temple in that site. Do you believe this sounds like the prophetic passages in Ezekiel 35, Malachi 1, and the little book of Obadiah, which talk about the Palestinians in Bible prophecy for the last days? Could these Palestinian activities be the precursor for the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? Now, that's the poll question. If you'll answer that question, we'd be so thrilled to have you do it. And while you're at the website, prophecytoday.com, check out our School of Prophets agenda coming up in December. Going to have a great time of study for serious prophecy students. And then also you need to learn how you can come and go along with us to Israel, the land of the Bible, where you see Israel past, touch Israel present, and of course our main purpose to visualize Israel future. Go to the website, go to Joshua Travel, the website address again, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. We have an issue that we're going to discuss together. This is our weekly conversation. And you that are Christians need to be tuned in exactly what we're going to say is information that you need to know. For example, the Republican National Committee has passed a resolution to help parents protect their children from radical sex ed curricula. Now that's what our subject is going to be. And David, I think what we have chosen this week is very important, especially for Christian parents. Actually, we found out about it when you sent me a copy of an article from the Breaking Christian News website, and that article was about the Republican National Committee, as I said, passing this resolution to help parents protect their children from what they have identified as radical sex education teaching that clearly has an agenda. Would you agree?
5: I would agree 100%. This article came out just a couple of days ago on Thursday. The title of the article on the Breaking Christian News website is Parents Deserve the Right to Know, RNC Passes Parents' Rights Resolution to Protect Children from Radical Sex Ed Curricula. And the opening paragraph in the article says this, The Republican National Committee unanimously passed a resolution recently, and I think it was just earlier in the week, uh, maybe last weekend, demanding that state lawmakers do more to protect children from controversial sex ed curricula and to give parents a say in what their kids are taught. In fact, the Family Research Council also said this concerning this resolution. Our hats go off to the RNC for joining us in this fight and demanding parents have a say. So this is really very important because it relates to the platform of the entire Republican Party. And, you know, when we were discussing the issues concerning even the presidential election, even though you and I don't necessarily stand behind any particular candidate from a political perspective, we do understand that there are significant differences in the platforms. And as much as uh, we vote for a particular person, we're voting for an overall platform. And I think this is very significant.
0: Well, I do too, David, and let me commend you for your excellent research. You found this article. That's why we're talking about it today. We recognize the significance of that. And in fact, could you uh, share a few moments with our listeners of what prompted this resolution by the RNC?
5: Well, let me go a little bit deeper into this article they say this that the organization says parents are upset about curricula that glamorizes dangerous sex acts, gender confusion, and the LGBT agenda. They go on to say that this actually happened in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, which is a little bit north of Philadelphia, and they brought their concerns before the school board last month because there were videos that were shown to their children without the knowledge or consent of parents. And according to to that particular news outlet, the speakers told the board that during the week of April twenty third, so this is a couple months ago, the student body watched videos during homeroom. So this isn't even a health education class. This is actually in homeroom, and that involved homosexual and transgender lifestyles. And then superintendent of that particular school board went on to try to defend their actions by saying this was a student work. This is quote unquote this was a student work that needs to be protected from public scrutiny. Well, how in the world can we say that the work of students who are still working through their own issues and developing their worldview and and learning and and growing in their knowledge of, of life in general, how could that ever be protected from public scrutiny? I think we all have an obligation to know what goes on in the classrooms in our public education system.
0: And I want to reflect this thought as well. In that article that you did send me, it referred to the fact that these types of activities, those trying to have this radical sex ed curricula put in place, not only with junior high or middle school and high school, but even in the elementary grades as well. David, it seems clear that there's an agenda being implemented that is designed to shape the thinking of our children in this country, and that this will potentially, by the way, have repercussions for generations to come, will it not?
5: Uh, There's no doubt about that. You know, for a number of years, I've been teaching a course with several different sections called uh, Current Theological Issues, and one of those is a section that I have entitled The LGBT Agenda, and that is not by accident. In fact, I was going back through that course in preparation for our discussion today and noting some things that I had included, and uh, going back to 2015, which is when the Supreme Court in June of that year made it illegal to prohibit LGBT marriages, in other words, it made same-sex marriages legal throughout the entire country. There was an article the next day on a website called The Nation, and the title of that article is What? next for the LGBT movement, and it's actually quite disturbing. Uh, There were four ladies who contributed to this editorial, and one of them, uh, one of the ladies named Tamara Metz, she said this, with the Supreme Court's ruling yesterday, my sister Naomi and her wife Jennifer celebrated their fourth wedding to each other in a decade, and then she goes on to list how it was in their backyard, and then at City Hall, and then in California county clerk's offices, but the, the most uh, disturbing thing is that uh, she poses the rhetorical question, what next? And then she gives the answer to the question, and she says, established marriage. That is a direct quote from this lady who is following up on the Supreme Court decision. And she goes on to say, get the state, meaning the government, out of the business of endorsing marriage. In other words, she says "This abolish the legal category of marriage. This is where this is all going. This is not Passive. There is an agenda, and I jokingly say the LGBTQRSTUV agenda because they keep adding letters to the acronym, but it's actually very serious. And in many cases, those people who have influence, power, and money to endorse this agenda, it's seeking to radically transform the most fundamental and foundational aspects of society, not just in the United States, but around the world. And that is the institution of marriage, which is established by God in Genesis chapter 2.
0: David, would you say that too many parents are largely abandoning their responsibility to raise up their children in the way that they should go, which the Bible calls for, and they're giving that responsibility over to the government?
5: Well, it seems that that is exactly the case. You know, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that is not necessarily a promise, but it definitely is a principle from the wisest man, apart from Jesus Christ, the wisest man who had ever lived, that God gave him the gift of wisdom in response to a request that God had made of him and he had made of God. So what we're seeing is that the government is stepping in, and when we think about government, we have to understand that even though not every government is necessarily inherently evil— Every government is led by sinful men. Even if if there are believers, we all have a sin nature, and we can make mistakes. But when it comes to government in general, they are led by largely a number of people who are not believers, and we can't expect them to lead and guide with biblical and godly principles and, and a godly worldview. So we always have to be on guard for that.
0: Although, as believers in the Church, David, we aren't under the law. It would seem that Deuteronomy chapter 6 provides some good principles concerning the spiritual guidance that we should actually give to all of our children.
5: You're absolutely right. Deuteronomy six, beginning in verse four, begins in Hebrew with the word Shema Yisrael, which means "Hear, O Israel," and it's the, probably the most well-known passage for any Jewish believer, for sure. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then they go on to say in verse five a passage that is actually quoted by the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. He said, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength." And then in verse seven, it says you. Shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk up by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And this is just kind of a a hyperbolic way or an exaggerated way of making the point that we continually teach our children in the ways of God. Again, you're right, we're not under the law, but this shows us the heart of God when it comes to His commandments. And this should be incorporated into our lifestyle, into our families, into our homes. have an incredible responsibility for this. You know, for a believer, our responsibilities include both evangelism and discipleship as the main things that we're responsible for here on this earth. And as parents, the evangelization and discipleship of our children is the greatest responsibility that we could ever hope to have.
0: Well, I would agree with that a thousand percent. David, as we conclude our conversation, as we always do, let's be real practical here. What are some of the suggestions that you would have for parents and churches for how to be involved with the lives of our children and teenagers to keep them on track for the Lord?
5: I think the most important thing is that we don't allow the government or society or culture in general to become the most influential body or group in our children's lives. I think about even our own children. As parents, I'm not touting my own greatness as a parent. We raised our kids on the mission field, and they were part of the ministry, and they uh, inculcated uh, Christian values, biblical values from a very young age, and they were involved. So I think involving our kids with the ministry, teaching them from a very young age biblical principles. And I think our churches have that same responsibility. They should be in partnership with the parents. In fact, this summer, my wife is teaching a Sunday school class for fourth to sixth grade kids, and she's teaching them doctrine. Kids are not too young to, to learn doctrine, and so we are shaping their worldview by the, everything that we teach them, not just fun and entertainment, but we shape them with the Word of God.
0: Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and they'll not depart from it. Judy and myself, my wife and I, both have trained up four children, all involved in our ministry today, Jim Jr., Rick, Leslie, and Jody and we're so thrilled that they have come along and partnered with us in ministry and based upon their understanding of the principles of God's Word. Well, great thoughts, David, that you've brought to our attention in a very important conversation that we needed to have. Thank you so much for all your research and for your interaction with me, and we'll do it again next week.
5: Always glad to do it, Jimmy. It's, it's always a pleasure.
0: Thanks. We're going to take a break when we come back. I'm going to put all the activities and conversations with my broadcast partners all together, and then we'll see how that fits into the prophetic scenario found in God's Word as we take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at
0: joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today weekend for us to take a look at the book. For the last hour, we have been talking with our broadcast partners all around the world who have given us reports that are helping us look at some of the current events. And then as we continued our discussions, we realized how key these current events would be as you look and compare the prophetic scenario found in God's Word, which has a layout for the entire end times. Each and every one of these reports, great information. Information, helping us to recognize the times in which we are living. By the way, if you missed any of the reports, may I suggest you go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and there you'll be able to re listen. To any of the reports, prophecytoday.com. That's the website address. And then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. That offers the service of you being able to re-listen or listen for the first time to these reports from our broadcast partners. Now it's time on this broadcast for me to take a look at some of the stories from our broadcast partners. And I want to take a moment to give you a prophetic perspective. In other words, what does this indicate in this current event as to how it relates to the agenda for the end times as foretold in the Bible itself. We talked with Ken Timberman. He's in the Washington, D.C. area, and our number one item to deal with was Iran's President Rouhani with a threat to the United States about the mother of all wars. However, it is a valid threat that the Iranians think they can defeat the United States, the large Satan, the big Satan, and they think they can do away in what America is endeavoring to do as it relates to this Islamic Republic a republic, a nation that funds terrorism, and in addition to that, it is out there trying to take over countries, take the responsibility of the political leadership away from them, and develop their dominion, their kingdom, a caliphate. When you think about Iran, they are listed in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel, that would be chapter 38 and verse 5, Iran there is referred to as Persia. Now, Persia has a long, long history down through the centuries. It has been a friend of the Jewish state. You might want to remember a man named Cyrus, who, when he took over the Medo-Persian Empire, he allowed the Jews, after the Babylonian captivity, to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple. In fact, he even helped finance that project. But the Bible says in this day, in the end times, that Iran is going to be one of those players in that alignment of nations that will form for the purpose of wiping the Jewish state Israel off the face of the earth. That's talked about in Ezekiel chapter 38, Daniel chapter 11, and over in the book of Psalms, and that would be chapter 83. You need to put these three passages of scripture together, and you'll see the players in this alignment. You'll see how key Iran is, and you compare that with what they are doing today, their philosophical approach to the world, which is eschatological in the fact that they have a Islamic eschatology saying that they would control the entire earth. They are in the process of making that happen. I then talked with David Dolan. He had our Middle East News update. He reported that the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has turned down Russia's invite to an Israeli-Palestinian summit. He had a number of reasons for doing it. This was trying to bring a resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Russia tried to get involved a couple of years ago. They were not allowed in the door, but now President Putin believes he has a way that he can bring these two enemies together, the Israelis and the Palestinians. Prime Minister Netanyahu turned that invitation down because, first of all, he doesn't really trust Vladimir Putin. Because Vladimir Putin is a key player in Syria, which is one of the other major nations that will join in that coalition to destroy the Jewish state, and Iran, Turkey, and Hezbollah are also key components of what's happening in Syria. Edomar Marcus, who heads up Palestinian Media Watch, brought to this broadcast table information about the Jewish opportunities to go up onto the Temple Mount. Just last week, the prime minister changed that and allowed members of Knesset to go up onto the Temple Mount, while Mahmoud Abbas, head of the Palestinian Authority, said that defiles the holy site of the Muslim people. Well, the Muslims have never had a key control of Jerusalem and or the Temple Mount, a way to propagandize the entire world. God has given that piece of real estate, very sacred to the Jewish people, to the Jews to build a temple ultimately, so Mahmoud Abbas is right in one area that they do want to build a temple, the Jewish people having a temple on the Temple Mount. John Rood gave us information in his report on the European Union. Seems like the European Parliament, one of the three players in the governing bodies of the European Union, they are becoming very anti-European Union. And this could be dangerous with the relationship of the European Union staying together, especially in light of Brexit when the United Kingdom is trying to withdraw and make all the plans for that. By the way, Daniel chapter 7 says that at least the European Union is the infrastructure for that revived Roman Empire. We must remember what God's word has to say. Doesn't matter what the politicians say. What does Bible prophecy say? And that's key. A very important discussion with Dave James. This time we focused on the Republican National Committee making a statement to parents in this world that they had better take care of their responsibility and monitor what the public schools are doing in the area of sex education. Even the elementary school is being inundated with this sex education that is contrary to what the Bible calls for. We parents must wake up and get in action. Dear friends, as you've heard me rehearse the issues that our broadcast partners have had to deal with today, plus many, many others, it's all indicative of the fact that the end-time scenario found in God's Word is about to go into play. However, before it does get started and these prophecies are fulfilled, the rapture of the church must take place. And may I say this, the rapture is the next event in God's calendar of activities, and it could even happen today. Having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.